We've put out our top 100 free agent list with no involvement whatsoever from me. So if you don't like it, that's your prerogative. Don't blame me. I specifically stayed away from it, so leave me alone. Anyway, it looks like a decent list. Now, obviously, we've added the people who have been franchise tagged. We always do that. More for illustrative purposes than anything else. Where do they fit in relation to the other guys? The number one guy when you take away Devontae Adams is J.C. Jackson. And, Peter, how surprised were you? Let's start there. I'm going uh, kind of off our outline, but how surprised were you at the Patriots? Number one, didn't franchise tag him. Number two, didn't get him signed before he's on the cusp of being able to officially accept offers from other teams. I was slightly surprised, but you've seen in the last few years, I mean, shoot, Mike, you can go back to Lawyer Malloy in 2003 with the probably the most famous one. Guys, even beloved guys on his own team, Bill Belichick doesn't often pay huge money uh, to his own to his own players. You know, and you see it happening more recently, too, with Joe Tooney, you know, being allowed to go to Kansas City. And I think he feels like, well, you know, J.C. Jackson came as a totally, um, you know, below the radar corner into our camp four years ago. And we'll, we're going to find another one. And I think that's how Bill Belichick has always, I mean, you look at Richard Seymour. He left, now he's entering the Hall of Fame. And so to me, when you look at players in the New England system, they're far more likely, you know, as in the case of, of Matthew Judon uh, or in the case of Jonu Smith, they're more likely to pay when they have an absolute forest fire at a position and they have a desperate need at a position and they're more likely to go out into free agency and to buy one. So a little surprised, but not shocked because that's Belichick's M.O., I will say one other thing about J.C. Jackson. To me, I think there can't be a more untagged, uh, attractive player in this year's free agency. He's got more interceptions than anybody in football over the last four years, 25. He's got 17 in the last two years. Uh, He's played in a very complicated system and played very well, and he's 26 years old. And to me, I think J.C. Jackson is probably going to make a lot of money. My feeling, and we talked about a little bit earlier, that I think he's one of those guys that would fit in very, very well with a team that has a lot of money and is in a division with great quarterbacking and so, I, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's obvious that, but I think the Chargers are going to be in play for him. And I would not be surprised if the Raiders, you know, Dave Ziegler knows them better than anybody out, you know, non-New England entity right now. He and Josh McDaniels, I'm sure they're going to, uh, you know, inquire about him as well. You know, you think about it, the Chargers got their answer to Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack, although, again, Mack is no longer in Donald's category, but they get their answer to Jalen Ramsey and J.C. Jackson if they make that move. And, yes, you know, Peter, I thought when the Patriots move on from Stephon Gilmore, that just meant it was inevitable they'd work out a deal and keep J.C. Jackson. I am surprised. And to the extent that yeah. you want to just shrug and say, well, you know, you let a big-name free agent go, you get a third-round compensatory pick, folks – Last year, the Patriots went on a free agent spending spree. They're not getting anything for Joe Tooney leaving last year. They over, it's, it's when you right. have net yep. losses where you start getting those picks. They had net gains last year. They're not getting yeah. any compensation for losing Joe Tooney to free agency a year ago. And depending upon what they do in free agency this year, they won't be surely as aggressive as they were last year. But depending upon what they do by signing guys in, they may not get much for J.C. Jackson. It all hinges on what the Patriots do. Look, Jackson's younger. Jackson's on the market for the first time. But so is Von Miller. Von Miller's never been a free agent. Who do you think is more likely to to, to spark a bidding war? It could be two different magnitudes, but it could still be more competition for Von Miller 
now that you got the Broncos maybe back in the mix, the Rams want to keep him, somebody else may swoop in. Uh, even though J.C. – I think J.C. Jackson just makes a beeline to one team for a huge amount of money. Miller may be the subject of a tug-of-war for a little while for several different teams given the championship pedigree and the talent that he still has. Here's the way I look at Von Miller right now, okay? So um, he turns 33 in a couple of weeks, and – He's one of these guys who, over the last few years, uh, over the last two years, he's been good, but he hasn't been great. And you have to ask yourself, does he have, if we're going to pay him real money, does he have some significant greatness left in him? Look, if I were Von Miller, look, and I have no idea what's most important to Von Miller. One more good signing bonus, one more payday, or the opportunity that would be best anywhere, especially, I'm assuming, Aaron Donald is coming back. Now, that is an open question, Mike, but I do think that signs point to Aaron Donald coming back. So if you can play with Aaron Donald and you forget the rest of that interior line, especially Greg Gaines, Sebastian Joseph Day, is an absolute load. You're going to be better playing for the Rams, assuming that those guys are back. You're going to be better playing for the Rams than you would be even like you go to Denver. And, and who knows? Maybe he, he's jonesing to go back to Denver. His Twitter account would certainly say that he is. But... If you're George Payton, you've proven you're not going to be romanced by the past. You have to look at Von Miller and say, 33-year-old pass rusher, what's he got left? And you know what? If you were George Payton, you know what you do? You have your pro personnel people say, we're taking emotion out of this. I want to know. We're going to have a meeting around the room this weekend. And I want everybody's best opinion and best argument, Chandler Jones or Von Miller. If we believe that we need a bookend for Bradley Chubb, that we need somebody to help Chubb rush the passer because on his own, he's not going to be great. But with help, he could be great. You know, he could be Leonard Marshall to, you know, the opposite of Lawrence Taylor. So... That would be my biggest question, Mike. I mean, I, I, my, my gut feeling right now is that that's a close call, but I would be inclined to say, man, if I think Chandler Jones could stay healthy, that's a guy I'd really, really like to get in my locker room. And from Von Miller's perspective, you have to ask yourself, what's the motivation? Is it to maximize dollars or maximize your chances to win a Super Bowl? And when I first saw that he was making some noise about going back to Denver. That was before we knew what Aaron Rodgers was doing, and it may have been in anticipation of the possibility yeah. that Aaron Rodgers chose the Broncos. Maybe Von Miller is less inclined now that it's Russell Wilson instead of Aaron Rodgers. I know the Broncos are working very hard to create the impression that Russell Wilson was plan A. Sorry, I'm not buying it. You can try all you want. I'm not buying it. Aaron Rodgers was plan A. Russell Wilson quickly became plan B when Rodgers stayed in Green Bay. I say all that, Peter, because what if Von Miller just decides, you know, engage in the same analysis Aaron Rodgers should have and maybe did engage in. Take a step back. Look at all the team. Look look at all the destinations. Look at all the places you can go. And where's the place where you're most likely to compete for a championship? Maybe, Maybe he contacts the Packers and says, kind of like to play in Green Bay. You know, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith are in danger of being released. Miller does a cap-friendly deal, and all of a sudden he's, he is paired up with Aaron Rodgers, just not in Denver, in Green Bay. It, so many things are possible. So many things. And that's why, you know, at the start of the show, Mike, when we talked about this, one of the reasons why um, – you know, it's been a really, really active week um, in terms of trades and signings and, and all that 
is because teams are getting tight caps sort of figured out and and kind of put in a row. And there are a lot of teams like Green Bay that are going to release players <clears throat> simply because they can't afford them. You know, no matter what you do with Aaron Rodgers' contract this year, okay, it's still going to cost something, and as is Devontae Adams. And plus, the one thing that Brian Gutekunst knows that he shouldn't do, okay, he shouldn't just say, oh, I'll just put everything out in the future. Then your 2024 cap, even if the cap is 250, 260 million, you're going to have a, you know, a $70 million anchor on that cap with these gigantic uh, contracts. Now, obviously you can keep pushing it into the future and all that. I get it. I know how the cap works. However, I think that you're still going to see over the next three or four days, very good players. You brought up a great name with the prospect of Zadarius Smith, possibly, you know, going free. You know, there are going to be so many good players that the market that you just put up, the graphic that you just put up of the top free agents, I believe there could be five different names in the top 10 on Tuesday than there are right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you because we're just getting started with the guys who are going to become available, whether it's because they get cut before Wednesday, they get cut on Wednesday, or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, some about the salary cap, because there are some teams that are in cap problems. And one of the reasons they're in cap problems is because last year the cap dropped. There was kicking of cap dollars into this year. And even with a $25 million bump, there are some teams that really have some work to do. But one of the realities is, and this is why we're seeing the Chargers with so much cap space, and there are other teams with a ton of cap space, the $25 million increase this year and the promise that there will be more like it coming. We're getting past the pandemic losses. They were spread out over multiple years, not all taken in one year. The TV money is going through the roof. The gambling money is growing and growing and growing, and the cap is going to keep going up and up and up. So, you know, when you look at these deals that will be done over the course of the next week, it's not just cap number this year. It's cap space next year, cap space the year after. You're in a position to pay guys a lot of money this year at a relatively small cap number, knowing that when the bigger cap numbers hit in 23, 24, and 25, the ceiling's going to be a lot higher, and it's going to be easier to absorb those contracts. So the point is, there's going to be a lot of spending. There's going to be a lot of spending, especially after the Rams showing the value of the all-in Teddy KGB maneuvers. We've seen the Chargers already. We've talked about that. I think we're going to see more teams get aggressive, and that's good for the players because that's more money going into the pockets of the players right now. Mike, um, at the Combine, one of the people who I met with was a club executive who is very heavily involved in the cap. And I asked him about, I just said, if you're Brian Gutekunst right now, and you've got to sign Aaron Rodgers. Tell me what you would do. I said, assuming that Rodgers wants to go back to Green Bay, and now obviously he has. I said, how would you do it? And he said, what I would do is I would say I would really ask Aaron, you know, even though he may not have the answer for it, seriously, I want you to tell me how many years you really think you're going to play. Okay, and let's say at some point the Packers did this and Aaron Rodgers said three, but maybe only two. And again, I have no idea what went on, but this is what this, is what this guy said. And, and he said then, if he said he was going to play three years, then here's, here's, here's how we would do it. And he just said, let's say the magic number is 50 million, you know, that he's going to want to make. Well, then you sign him basically to... Uh, a five-year contract for pick a number, okay? Let's say $250 million. But you know that years four and five, year five definitely is going to go away. Year four probably is going to go away. And you build in uh, money that is going to be not, that is going to not hit the cap until 25 and 26, let's say if it's a five-year contract. 
So the bottom line in the whole thing is, let's say the cap in 26 should be about 300 million. And if you were willing mentally, mentally to say, instead of 300 million to get Aaron Rodgers to play the next three years, we are willing to have 30 million dead cap money, 10% of our cap disappear in that fifth year because we are designing and planning in to put 30 million in dead money on Aaron Rodgers in that last year. Are we willing, if the cap is going to be, let's say, 300 million, are we willing to basically have a cap that would be 270 million? Mentally, can we do that? And if you can, then that's how you do a contract like that. And that's why, to me, when so many teams are snug against the cap, you, you're going to have teams that really backload and mentally will have a phony year or two at the end of these contracts. You've touched on an important dynamic, especially as it relates to franchise quarterbacks. At the time that the relationship ends, there is going to be a cap reckoning. The question is, how big will it be? And if there are multiple years left on that contract and the player retires, we saw what happened with Drew Brees last year. He waited until after June 1. More specifically, the team waited to move him to the reserve retired list until after June 1. That's what the Buccaneers are doing with Tom Brady. They're not going to put him on reserve retired until after June 1. If they do it now, it's $32 million. If they do it later, it's $8 million this year and $24 million next year. The, the dynamic you have just identified, a $24 million cap hit in 2023 for the privilege of having Tom Brady for two years. That's what teams are going to be doing more and more. While we're on the topic of quarterbacks, what kind of cap hit will Mitchell Trubisky generate? And do you think – a guy who was basically exiled to Buffalo and never heard from, never seen. I, I, last year, we at least had evidence, number one, that he existed, and number two, that he played. This year, we've seen nothing, but there's this buzz he's going to be a starter. Is the market that bad that a guy that disappeared for a year could end up being a starter, yes. Peter? Yes. Yes, of course. And, and look, there's been some buzz that the New York Giants, with two imports from Buffalo, the general manager and the head coach, are interested in Mitchell Trubisky. First thought about that. Let's say that you're Daniel Jones. And the new head coach and the new general manager say, we believe in Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is the guy who we think is going to take our team into the future and yes, we're not going to give, we're not going to guarantee the fifth-year option and all that. We, you know, so he's got to sing for his supper this year. We believe in Daniel Jones. We believe in him. Now, it's way too strong, okay, to call Mitchell Trubisky the teacher's pet, okay? That's and it, and it's unfair. I have no idea what his personal relationship is with Brian Dable or Joe Shane. But let me ask you this question. How confident would you be and how trusting would you be if you were Daniel Jones and the coach comes from Buffalo, the general manager comes from Buffalo, and the backup quarterback in Buffalo who probably has a chance in three or four cases around the NFL to battle for a starting job in training camp. How would you feel about that guy coming in with everybody saying, oh, no, no, he's just the backup. He's just the backup. In my opinion, that to me is not the way to go if you're the New York Giants and you truly want to give Daniel Jones every chance to be your long-term starter. Yeah, but look, they may not pick up the fifth-year option on Daniel Jones, which undercuts everything they said about him at the press conference introducing both Joe Shane and Brian Dayball week or so apart as GM and head coach, respectively, that we're getting mixed messages already about Daniel Jones. The ultimate mixed signal would be, here comes Mitchell Trubisky. But you know what, Peter? I mean, look, it's up to Daniel Jones to deal with that pressure. It's up to Daniel Jones to figure out how to thrive, knowing that they have a plan B and they're protecting themselves in the event that Jones Why would you isn't the guy it? that they want. Well, because you've got to protect yourself in the event that Jones just isn't the guy. They, 
they they hope he can be the guy. They can't tell because they, they haven't had great coaching for the first three years of his career. So they need to be protected. But, Peter, it's How do you a, know that Mitchell point. Trubisky is the guy? Here, it, I mean, here's an I, important point. This stuff, because because Dave won't work with him for a Mitchell whole year. Mitchell Trubisky one time. Yeah. Right, I've only I don't, seen look. Mitchell Trubisky as a starter in one place. And the result was, you know, and again, with all due respect to Mitchell Trubisky, because it was a tough situation. He was a failure. And just because you worked twice. with him and he never had to show anything other than playing in practice, I mean, that this to me is a recipe for disaster. Just from the outside. I just think it's a mistake. I really do. And you know what, Mike? If Daniel Jones fails with the New York Giants, I, I hate to bring up, you know, the, uh, the draft lottery you know, or the whole concept that has made us talk about that so much. But what's the worst thing for the New York Giants? In a, in a good year to draft a quarterback, having the fourth pick in the draft? Or you, you, you scratch and claw and do everything humanly possible and you win two more games so you have the 10th pick? I, I just, all I'm saying is that give Daniel Jones every opportunity to win it. And then after that, you worry about your quarterback. I wouldn't be spending cap money when you already have to go way. It, it, Joe Shane told me we got to clear forty million in cap, uh, you know, off our cap to get ready for this season. I, I have no idea what Mitchell Trubisky would cost, but I just I don't really understand it. That's my point. If I didn't know better, I would say you were suggesting John Mara should offer Brian Dayball a hundred thousand dollars for each loss in November and December if they are languishing. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Two things real quickly. First of all, Trubisky never got a fair shake with Matt Nagy because they hired the wrong coach to work with Trubisky. That, that, so we don't really know. Dayball knows Trubisky for one year. But the other side of it is this. If someone else sees Trubisky as a potential starter, aren't they going to offer more than what the Giants would offer to park him behind Daniel Jones, especially with the cap situation you're talking about? So even the mere possibility of Trubisky being the backup to Daniel Jones may be a little pie in the sky because someone else is going to give him a better opportunity to get to the field and more money for that opportunity. So I, I, I think that if Trubisky would end up as number two to Daniel Jones, it would mean that, that the, the market just wasn't there for him as a potential starter because the money would have been better. And he got – it was so weird last year. All these backups, veteran backups who, you know, aren't as accomplished as Mitchell Trubisky in that same bucket of mid-level quarterback at best – they got some decent contracts, and he just didn't. And that was kind of a surprise. So we'll see. It's, it's, he's become the most fascinating quarterback to me in free agency because of this possibility. He could be anywhere from starter to backup, and he could be anywhere from $15 million a year to, to $4 million a year, depending upon where he goes. I, by the way, would disagree that Matt Nagy was the wrong quarterback coach for Trubisky. I mean, let's make two points. Um, he was the tutor in 2017 for Patrick Mahomes, you know, who spent hours with him every day. And I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes would have been uh, any less if pick another guy, Mike Kafka or, or, or whoever was his everyday or Eric Bieniemy was his day-to-day -day tutor, whatever. I, I, I'm, I don't know. We don't know. But the and and in and is in his second year in Chicago, Trubisky had a 95 quarterback rating, played well. They went 12 and four. At the end of his second year, it appeared like he was going to be pretty good, and then he imploded. Now, was that implosion due to the fact that he was coach lousy, or was that implosion due to the fact that he was lousy? I don't know. I mean, that is something that we could argue for a long time. But I don't accept the fact that Matt Nagy was a lousy coach, and that's why, uh, that's why Mitchell Trubisky was lousy. I'm not saying Matt Nagy was a lousy coach. I'm influenced by Chris's assessment of what Trubisky does well and that Matt Nagy never embraced what he does well. And that's the hallmark of great coaching. You adjust your system to fit the skills and abilities of the players. And my point was, I don't think Trubisky ever fit 
Nagy's offense, and we never saw enough flexibility from Nagy to adapt the offense to fit Trubisky, and that's how you potentially get to a point where there's an implosion. It's a combined, a combined responsibility between player and coach. Let's go ahead and take a break. Crazy week in the NFL. We'll recap all of it with a game of buy or sell. I feel like we're the price is right. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. Where he can go. He knows what the choices are. And I'm told, I'm told, Green Bay, Denver, Pittsburgh, Tennessee. He's got a menu, folks. He's sitting at IHOP with a menu, and there's four meals on there, and he's got to pick one. That's it. That's it. Is he going to pull the trigger here? Does he got the guts to leave Green Bay? Is he willing to, you know, break the mold there? Calvin Ridley of the Falcons has been suspended for at least a year for betting on games. It was It's a dumb move, right? I mean, we know that with Calvin Ridley. Just to bring you back what players hear as far as, you know, gambling and how that goes, it's really one of the first videos you watch when you become an NFL football player. I remember following away when I was taking the crap for it. If they trade him, baby, I'm doing the victory lap. And somebody yeah. pointed out, well, why don't we point out every time you're wrong? You already do! Russell Wilson officially will become a member of the Denver Broncos. I'm going to say I think it's a blessing in disguise. They got they got Russell Wilson over Aaron Rodgers in a lot of ways. The Broncos are working very hard to push the idea that Russell Wilson was planning. Just the way it went down, it was Rodgers, whoa, the marquee moment of the offseason. He's going to make a decision. He stays home, and 30, 40 minutes later, that news, who the hell cares about Rodgers staying home? Russell Wilson's getting traded, and let's talk about that. Washington Commanders have made their move. After calling every team in search of a quarterback, they have found a team that was more than willing to part ways. But you get very motivated seller, extremely motivated buyer, and you have a new home for Carson Wentz. He's a, a lightning rod subject, that quarterback, but I do think he's worthy of being one of the 32 starting quarterbacks. He's still a good player. There's just issues that come along with it, and that's why he's going to be on his third team in three years. That was a week. And here we are at Friday. Peter King, Mike Florio here on PFT Live. A little buy or sell as we cap the week. And let's begin where it started. We were on Aaron Rodgers' watch on Monday. Buy or sell, the Aaron Rodgers drama is officially over in Green Bay. Do I mean, if I buy it, then I agree with it? It's over. Yes. I don't think it's over. What happens if uh, if he if it comes out next week that Aaron Rodgers is only guaranteed to play one year in Green Bay? I'm not sure about my future beyond this year. Uh, what is that 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 for me would change what I thought of this? Other than I think we all have to see what this contract is, Mike. Yes. No one, I, I think, right? Does anybody really know what the contract is? I don't. I, I mean, I've seen, you know, reports about it, but nothing that I, I, I just don't know about the contract. But if, if I am relatively sure that it's for longer than one year, I'm, I'm all in with it. But if, if we are just pushing this Till next off season, and the drama is going to happen again, where uh, every reporter in America is live tweeting Pat McAfee. I, I mean, you know that that doesn't solve the problem; it just delays a solution to the problem. He quibbled with the idea Rogers did that it was just it was just a foolish tweet from him on Tuesday that 
reports that he has signed a contract or incorrect. Nobody reported he had signed. They reported he agreed to terms. That's a fundamental difference. No one said he signed. But you know what? Here we are three days later. He still hasn't signed. We haven't seen it yet. And you're right, Peter. The details of that contract, not the four years, $200 million, equivalent with that too. Maybe it's $200.1 million. Who knows what he's quibbling with there. But, but once we see the structure, the signing bonus, the payout, the deferment, Will there be deferred payments of signing bonus to future years so they don't have to go back and recover it from him if he retires? I've been led to believe that the structure of this deal is going to be set up for him to walk away without a financial penalty after 22, if he wants to, after 23, after 24, et cetera. So the drama will be there every year because he's basically on a one-year-at-a-time existence. And, And the other question is, will he be able to, and I think he will want this, after every year, go back and say, do I want to stay with the Packers? Do I want to retire? Or do I want to play for someone else? I think that's part of what he's exacting from them. And he has tremendous leverage here because his cap number is $46.66 million without any adjustment. They need him to redo this contract. I think that he will have an understanding with the Packers that next year he engages in the same deliberations he engaged in this year. Do I stay? Do I go? Do I quit? And I think it's not going away. We think it's going away because we have an answer for now. We've just kicked it until next year. And it's going to be one year at a time until he leaves, retires, or the Packers decide they've had enough and they cut him, which at some point he'll stay long enough that they will cut him. At some point they'll say he's not as good as he used to be and we've been waiting for this day where we can finally get rid of this guy because he's been a pain in our ass. Yeah, if that's the case, then I'm selling because I don't want to kick the can one year down the road. If you want to kick the can two years down the road, fine. But let me ask you a question. How do you feel if you're Devontae Adams knowing that if I sign a four-year, $90 million contract with $70 million guaranteed, I have no idea what his contract would be. But if you're going to do that, how would you feel knowing that, uh, that, I mean, if you think about it, okay, if you think about it, knowing that all you've done is buy Aaron Rodgers for the first year of your four years? You know what I'm saying, Mike? I, I, I just think that I don't know how this solves your issue with Devontae Adams. Because it's clear that Devontae Adams does not want to sign up for three years of the unknown and one year of Aaron Rodgers. I I would think if I were Devontae Adams. So it's an odd situation to me if he only guarantees that he's staying one year. You know, but Rodgers has this. He spent all of 21 with the sword of Damocles hovering over the Packers. And I think that he's going to come out of this negotiation in the same situation where he has the power, he has the control, and he has the ability to say, I don't like how you're dealing with me. I don't like how you're dealing with the team. I'm out. I'm done. I'm moving on. I don't want to be part of a rebuild. I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to be part of that. So the drama isn't over, and you're right. There are going to be other victims, collateral victims to this, including Jordan Love. He's the only guy I feel bad about because he's the only guy in all of this that had no choice but to involve himself in the middle of this mess with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. All right, buy or sell, and we've already kind of touched on this. Russell Wilson was plan A for the Broncos all along, something the Broncos very much would like us to accept and to sell to the audience. Peter, I sell that one. A hundred cents on the dollar. He was not plan A. Rodgers was plan A, in my opinion. Mike, I have to, I'm going to be honest with you about this. Not that I'm ever dishonest with you, but it's hard for me to answer that question because I have not talked to George Payton. I've not talked to Nathaniel Hackett. You know, they are not going to discuss this until uh, until the trade is made official. But they're so not going to tell you the truth either. Before they're not going to say, yeah, we really wanted Aaron Rodgers, well, but uh, we but, settled for Russell Wilson. 
Well, well, Mike, then here's my question to you. How can you assume that their plan A was, it, it looks, it's very logical evidence. that plan A yes. was, was Aaron Rodgers. Yes, it's trading for Russell Wilson an hour after but, Aaron Rodgers said he's staying in Green Bay. Uh, Mike, I understand exactly what you're saying. I understand exactly what you're saying. But you know, as a former attorney who could, I'm sure still could practice law, that you know that just because something seems like that, that you're not positive that that is what that was. Now, let me also tell you this. I'm just, would Russell Wilson, his wife, and the agent have been on their way to Denver Monday, sort of midday, I think it was Monday, right? Before they were absolutely positive about Aaron Rodgers. So that is, and I think that that is the case that they were in a plane for Denver before the whole Rodgers thing broke. Now, could they have had some advance warning? Yes. Could the Broncos have had some advance warning? Yes. But the reason I can't answer that question is that I want to know for sure. I want to do some reporting on this before I said, yep, absolutely. Rodgers was the Broncos' choice all along. That's my assumption, yes. But... I don't know that. You know, my next level conspiracy theory here, and I'll just mention this very quickly because we have to move on. I, I toured with this earlier in the week, and I'm saying it facetiously for the most part. Rodgers caught wind of the fact that the Broncos were going to pull the trigger on Wilson, so he made his decision known to create the impression that he was playing A in Denver. That, that would be awesome if that were true. And that would be petty, but... Yeah, you're capable of being a really good quarterback and also being very petty. Just ask Tom Brady. All right, let's move on to Carson Wentz. Buy or sell. He will resurrect his career in Washington. Peter. Sell. I mean, Mike, I, I spoke to in the last week, uh, mostly at the Combine, but one post-Combine, uh, a lot of people who have been around Carson Wentz uh, in his last couple of stops. And uh, it's, it's not a pretty picture. And I think this all goes back to, um, you know, the injury in 2017. That, uh, you know, I think part of him, it was hard for him to get over that. It was hard to, for him to get over going from the, uh, you know, the, perhaps the MVP of the NFL in 2017 to getting hurt and then the uh, you know your your career just collapsing all around you so to me I think there are two things about Carson Wentz that he has to prove in order to turn this narrative around one you better start listening to coaching you know that is without any question uh, one of the two or three biggest things that dogged him at the end in Philadelphia and that dogged him in Indianapolis. And number two, I think he's got to do this in a, in a football sense. He's got to stop being convinced when he gets to the line of scrimmage, I'm going there. You know, I, I, I know exactly where I'm going. Quarterbacks can't do that. You can't play that way. And too often, he would make a decision either pre-snap or too early in the thing without looking at all his options. You can't play quarterback successfully in the NFL if you're a know-it-all when you go to the line of scrimmage. Those are the things that Carson Wentz... Now, look, I've heard all this stuff about, oh, the leadership wasn't there and all this other stuff. And, oh, he's a selfish guy. Look, if he doesn't throw those idiotic passes, you know, you saw the, the interception, the pick six uh, against the Titans. You know, ridiculous throw. Uh, that and the Kyler Murray throw were the two worst throws of this season in the NFL. You saw the horrible interception he threw 
uh, against Jacksonville that really was the turning point in them getting killed in that game. And, and so he needs to listen to Scott Turner in Washington, and he needs to leave his ego at the door. And can he do that? I don't know, but two consecutive teams, he hasn't done it. We got to take a break, but this is the key, and this is the point we made all, like, all week long. This is his wake-up call. He didn't get his wake-up call last year because he was, he was able to leave Philadelphia thinking, they're wrong, I'm right. Frank Reich is welcoming, welcoming me with open arms. Now Frank Reich yes. is kicking him to the curb exactly at the behest right. of Jim Irsay. This is the wake-up yeah. call. Didn't get it last year. If he doesn't get it this year, he's done. It's over. This is it for Carson Wentz. All right, let's take a break. Big day today for Deshaun Watson's football and legal future. We'll get you up to speed on that when PFT Live continues right after this. Today's the day that a grand jury in Houston will consider evidence against Deshaun Watson for the purposes of determining whether or not he committed a crime, or more specifically, whether he will be indicted of committing any crimes. Misdemeanors or felonies. Felonies the key. If he's indicted on at least one felony charge, I don't think he's playing anywhere until those cases are resolved, and then he would be looking at a significant suspension after that, Peter. There's quiet optimism from Watson's camp that he will emerge from this process with no felony indictment, but we'll see. The key person in all of this is the prosecutor because whether or not indictments come and whether or not they're for felony charges and misdemeanors is driven by how zealous and determined and motivated the prosecutor is to get that indictment because it's just the prosecutor. There's no representation of the defendant. There's no counter-presentation of evidence. If the prosecutor wants to load this up and get the indictment, she can. Conversely, if she realizes... It's going to be a tough case to try. Reasonable doubt is everywhere. Not really even sure a crime was committed if these allegations are true. You present the evidence in a way, Peter, that it results in no indictment. But it all comes down to how aggressive or not the prosecutor will be and how curious or not the grand jurors will be about possibly wanting more evidence. They hope to get this done today. We'll see. A lot of it depends upon what the grand jurors want to do and whether or not they're ready to make a decision today. You know, Mike, all along, it appears as though the Watson side has been putting all its eggs in this basket so that they hope, of course, that Deshaun Watson will be able to be totally free and clear either before the start of free agency or and, and, the, and the trading period or very soon after that. But, of course, there's no certainty about that. And, you know, either, even if he's totally free and clear of this, there's a very good chance that he is going to face some suspension from the NFL for being involved in this. Uh, And that, I mean, you saw what happened with Ben Roethlisberger. You wrote about it a couple of weeks ago, that Ben Roethlisberger was six-game suspension that was reduced to four. I, I would be surprised if it were any milder you know, in the case of Deshaun Watson. So if you are going to trade for Deshaun Watson, even if he is, uh, you know, let loose by the, uh, by the legal system, okay, if, if you're going to trade for him, you still have to expect that either, let's say, six out of 17 games or, or four out of 17, he's not going to be your quarterback this year. So it's still going to take a real leap of faith for somebody next week, let's say, to trade for Deshaun Watson. It's a long-term play, though, not a one-year play. It's a 10-year play if you make this trade. And, Peter, something that occurred to me, and i got to take a break here, but the fact that the grand jury is taking this up today before the start of free agency – that could be interpreted as a subtle indication that the prosecutor understands what this means to Deshaun Watson professionally and is willing to move this forward now with the anticipation that maybe there won't be a strong presentation of evidence and maybe there won't be an indictment so he can get on with his professional life. We'll see. We may know more by the time PFTPM comes on the air at 5 Eastern today. Before that, though, 
our draft for this pre-free agency Friday. Which general manager would you want to be when the money starts flowing next week? We'll do that next here on PFT Live. All right, our Friday draft. As we get ready for free agency, which general manager would you most want to be? Peter, first pick is yours. I'll take Indianapolis general manager Chris Ballard. Not only does he have uh, $70 million in cap space available per overthecap.com, but he also has an owner that is incredibly impatient. Give me Chris Ballard and give me an open checkbook toward trying to solve every problem, including perhaps quarterback. Yeah, see, I, I don't want to be Ballard for that reason because where do I find a quarterback? Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't know if that's the answer. Real quickly, before my pick, any appeal to you to the possibility of trading for Kirk Cousins if you're Indianapolis? It appeals to me because Kirk Cousins is the ultimate team guy, great guy to have on your team, can definitely be coached hard. He presents a lot of attractive things to you. So if I were Indianapolis, I would say I'd go all in trying to trade for Cousins. So Cousins is the anti-Carson, which would make him even more attractive. If I think so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with Mike Brown slash Duke Tobin of the Cincinnati Bengals. I want to be in charge of the Bengals because I got $34 million to spend. And I hope, I hope that Mike Brown is going to loosen the change purse a little bit and let me actually spend it because I got to get help for Joe Burrow. I got to use a structure of my contracts that guarantees money for two years out. Time to change now. If the Bengals want to rise to this moment as a, as a business, this is their opportunity to do it. They've got cash to spend. They need to spend it the right way. They need to beef up that offensive line. Great opportunity, especially with guys like Ryan Jensen and Brandon Scherf hitting free agency. I couldn't agree with you more on that one. And before I get to my second one, I'll just say one thing. I think Mike Brown realizes that without signing Trey Hendrickson, without trading for B.J. Hill, uh, without making a lot of the moves that you made on that defensive line, you would not have gotten to the Super Bowl. So I do think that Mike Brown understands that I'm going to go get at least one of these really good offensive linemen available in this, not just a scotch tape job like Riley Reef. So I agree with you. Mike, my second one right here is that, is I'm going to say I want to be John Schneider because for the first time in a long time, John Schneider has cap room and he has a needed quarterback that I believe he feels like he's confident enough whether Let's say he loves Malik Willis. I'm going to take Malik Willis, and what I'm going to do in free agency is I'm going to build around who my quarterback is going to be. How, whatever he thinks, he might like one of the lesser quarterbacks. Who knows? All I know is that I trust him in the quarterback drafting process after Russell Wilson 10 years ago. So give me John Schneider, number two. I want to be Tom Telesco, the Chargers. I've already traded for Khalil Mack. I got $25 million less to spend in, in the final cheap year uh, before I have to pay Justin Herbert. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to make this team better, and I'm going to try to win back some of those L.A. fans that are gravitating toward the Rams. Let's go ahead and take our break. We'll do round three of the draft of the GMs we'd like to be next week when PFT Live continues right after this. Those are the first two rounds, the GMs we'd like to be in free agency, which begins, if you haven't heard, on Wednesday. The ability to go out and enter into contracts with free agents begins Monday at noon. Peter, round three, you're up. I want to be Nick Casario because even though I don't expect to get rich in free agency, I am about to solve a longstanding problem uh, because I've known for over a year Deshaun Watson is not going to play for me. Somebody out there is going to give me a mother load of draft picks for him. I've already got the third pick in the draft. Uh, and so I'm not only going to have 
probably the best draft situation over the next two years, assuming I can trade Watson before this year's draft. But I'm also going to have money knowing that I don't have a franchise quarterback to pay and I can, uh, you know, the cap's going to be going up minimum 20 million a year each year for the next three or four years. I'll say, and I'm having a, a, a rough time with this one. I've, I've settled on George Payton because I've got 26 million in cap space and I have a magnet at quarterback now in Russell Wilson that may be able to attract some of these guys. So maybe what I can do is let the first wave happen and then go out and bargain shop with some guys that didn't get as much as they wanted. Maybe they'll take less than they wanted to come join us and play with Russell Wilson. The only caveat is, if I'm George Payton, I'm also a little bit nervous that Mark Rogers, who represents Russell Wilson, is going to wake up one of these mornings between now and Wednesday and realize the power that Wilson has to say, I'm only making $24 million this year. You've given up all this stuff for me. I think I should get my new contract now, not next year. Because if he'd ask for it, what are they going to say? They can't say no after giving up everything they gave up to get him. There's got to be have some understanding, understanding that that's coming that they'll next wait till year. next year. Yeah. But, hey, Peter. Yeah. They, maybe if you're George Payton, you want to kick some of that cap space to next year. Because I think this is one of the reasons why the Seahawks ultimately moved on from Russell Wilson. They knew next year he was going to want a market deal. And a market deal next year is going to be $50 million a year. And they weren't going to do it. And the Broncos are going to have to do it. What are they going to say? No, after giving up all that stuff to get Russell Wilson? No, we're not going to make you the highest paid player in football or close to it. They're, they're screwed financially next year. They're going to have to pay Russell Wilson at least Mahomes' money, if not Aaron Rodgers' money, if not whatever the top of the market is next year. There's a way to do it if you have to do it right now of putting, pushing a lot of the guarantees to 24 and 25. Even if they do it, I don't think it'll screw them on the cap this year. All right, another show flies by. Enjoy the weekend. We'll have updates throughout the next few days, and we'll be back at 5 o'clock Eastern for PFTPM. Have a great day.